Good morning, everybody. My name is Linton. Okay, there we go. Um, welcome to all our online participants. Don't just be viewing, but let's participate. So can I ask you to grab your Bible as the sound guys sort out the feedback on the monitors over here. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 9 this morning. So... Uh, it's going to be an exciting journey as we unpack the scriptures this morning. As noted last week, we looked at everything from chapter 1 to chapter 8 and leading to this point as Ryan kicked off the new series or the series of Mark for this year, which leads us to the way of the cross. Now my thing doesn't want to scroll. <laughs> Here we go. There we go. There we go. Let's pause. Can we pray? And then we'll get into it. Lord, I want to say thank you for this amazing opportunity to sit under the ministry of your word. We pray, God, that you will teach us your word, that you will make us receptive and help us to listen to you this morning. Will you use me as a vessel for honor this morning? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and my mind be pleasing unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are into the book of Mark. We are into chapter 9. Chapter 1 to chapter 8 has led us to this point. Ryan kicked off the series for this year. We are on our way to the cross. That is where we are going to. Um, we therefore pick up where Jesus and the disciples are once again in Gentile territory. Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. This place was at the base of the southwest slope of Mount Hermon. It is here that one of the sources of the river Jordan springs forth from under a, ro a large rocky cliff rising about 30 meters above the village. Many idols were carved into the rock facade. And the contrasts between Jesus Christ and these local gods were so striking, a perfect place for Jesus to ask the disciples, who do men say I am? You need to keep the picture in mind over here. Remember, southwest slope, Caesarea Philippi, large rock facade, Carved images into these, um, into this rock facade. Jesus asks, Who do men say I am? It is then that they say, While it may have been uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, but he then leads them to the point where they acknowledge his deity. Peter then blurts out and he says, You are the Messiah. And then Jesus says to Peter, you did not come up with this on your own. The Father um, inspired you to say this. And I like what it says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 18. It says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
In the original, verse 18 should therefore read, And I also say to you, Simon, by Jonah, that you are Petros, which means little stone. And on this Petra, this massive rock or overhanging cliff of a statement, I will build my church. It's amazing. So many years later, Peter relates this encounter in one of his letters to the believers and refers to Jesus as the chief corner stone who builds his church. What an amazing play on words. So as mentioned earlier, Jesus openly explains the road he needs to travel and predicts his coming death involving suffering, rejection, and being crucified and then rising from the dead. Peter, in his national identity as a Jew, realizes that Jesus' road to the cross does not have the positive outcome that he anticipates for his Jewish nation, who were ultimately hoping for deliverance and political freedom from Roman oppression and the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Peter then pulls Jesus aside, rebukes Jesus, attempting to realign his plan. Jesus recognizes the spirit that seeks to divert him from his kingdom plan and pursue the selfish quest and rebukes it. In Jesus' rebuke, He explains to the disciples that in order for the saving reign of God to come on earth, it involves him going to the cross. And consequently, in order to be a true disciple, involves them taking that very same road of denying self, taking up their cross and following him. Jesus explains in Mark chapter 8 verse 34, as Ryan touched on last week. When he had called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This then takes us to this mountaintop where Jesus leads Peter, James and John. So open me, open with me your Bibles or open your Bibles with me or your smartphone device, whatever you want to uh, use this morning. And we are going to read Mark chapter 9 from verse 2 to verse 10. Mark chapter 9, reading from verse 2 to verse 10. And it reads, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus 
with themselves. Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. As we continue to study this text within the greater context of the Bible, we'll be looking at the biblical meaning of the transfiguration and what this means to us as Jesus' disciples. The transfiguration has so much to teach us. Here are some key learnings from the transfiguration. Firstly, the transfiguration reveals the deity of Jesus. The transfiguration teaches us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, as pictured by Moses in the law and Elijah in the prophets. The transfiguration reveals the perusia, the soon and coming return of our Jesus, of our King. And the transfiguration reveals the glory of the cross. But for this morning, I would like to focus on two key points as we, as disciples of Jesus, can learn from the transfiguration. Namely, the transfiguration teaches us who Jesus is, who Jesus is and reveals the glory of the cross. And secondly, the transfiguration challenges us to hear the voice of God. So firstly, the transfiguration teaches us who Jesus is and reveals the glory of the cross. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, Mark points out, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and everything else is built on this premise, including the transfiguration of Jesus. The text we read describes how Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. Jesus is transfigured. He literally experiences a metamorphosis, a change translated into something they had never seen or experienced before. In this moment, God transfigured Jesus, allowing his divinity to break through his unglorified humanity, revealing the real nature of the Son. Jesus is fully man, but he is also fully God. John and Peter were so deeply moved by this experience that they both referred to it in their writings. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, John says, And the Word, Christ, became flesh and lived among us, and we actually saw His glory. Glory as belonging to the one and only begotten Son of the Father, the Son who is truly unique, the only one of His kind, who is full of grace and truth, absolutely free of deception. Peter also relates this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. He says, For we did not follow divinely, div cleverly devised stories or myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, his grandeur, his authority, his sovereignty. For when he was invested with honor and the radiance of the Shekinah glory from God the Father, such a voice as this came to him 
from the splendid majestic glory in the bright cloud that overshadowed him saying this is my son my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and delighted and we actually heard this voice made from heaven when we were together with him on the holy mountain the transfiguration reveals that Jesus is not just a mere man, a good teacher, a prophet, or a political leader. He is God incarnate. He is fully God and fully man. And even in this truth, the passion of Christ and the glory of the cross is affirmed. In Jürgen Moltmann's classic work, The Crucified God, he explains the following with regard to the incarnation of Christ. He says the incarnation of the Logos is completed on the cross. Jesus is born to face his passion. His mission is fulfilled once he has been abandoned on the cross. So it is impossible to speak of an incarnation of God without keeping this conclusion in view. There can be no theology of the incarnation which does not become a theology of the cross. As soon as you say incarnation, you say cross. God did not become man according to the measure of our conceptions of being a man. He became the kind of man we did not or we do not want to be. An outcast, accursed, crucified. Thus God's incarnation, even unto the death on the cross, is not in the last resort a matter of concealment. This is his utter humiliation in which he is completely with himself and completely with the other. The man who is dehumanized. Humiliation to the point of death on the cross corresponds to God's nature in the contradiction of abandonment. When the crucified Jesus is called the image of the invisible God, the meaning, the meaning is that this is God, and God is like this. God is not greater than He is in this humiliation. God is not more glorious than He is in the self-surrender. God is not more powerful than He is in this helplessness. God is not more divine than He is in this humanity. Initially, the disciples did not understand who Jesus is and they struggled to grasp the reason why Jesus had to die on the cross of Calvary. But in reflecting back on these encounters, such as Jesus' transfiguration, it all began to make sense. Jesus being fully man and fully God had to die in our place, being our substitute in order to set us free from the penalty of sin, to set us free from the power that sin has over our lives and ultimately to set us free from the very presence of sin. The glory of the cross and its power in our lives challenges us to live as the image bearer God has created us to be. And to spread the love that he has lavishly poured out upon us. The glory of the cross revealed through the transfiguration empowers us to live differently and also to love others differently. 
Being salt and light in this dark world. Bringing hope and healing to those who are broken and desperately in need of love. It is being on mission with Jesus and to follow Him by coming to serve and not to be served. To willingly lay down our lives for other humans. The glory of the cross of Jesus transforms us and in turn we are called and anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. To heal the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to those who are held captives as slaves. And recovery of of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In N.T. Wright's article on preaching the cross in dark times, he references the victory of the cross through Christ, through Christ's substitutionary death. He aptly states, the message of the cross, victory through substitution, means that we are now set free to be genuine humans. The cross sets us free as image-bearing humans, as God's royal priesthood, to be people of worship and witness, to be people of celebration and service. We who have seen all our dreams of justice, freedom, and the rest land up in a heap at the foot of the cross are now told to stand up and to be people of justice in a world of injustice, of truth in a world of lies, of beauty in a world of ugliness, of genuine spirituality, bringing heaven and earth together in a world of Gnosticism and other counterfeits of freedom. In a world of slavery, of the right sort of power, the power of healing love in a world of brute force and ultimately of love itself in a world of suspicion and hatred. The cross is about the outpoured love of God and the longer we look at it, the more our own love should be kindled in return. The truth is, The transfiguration reveals that Jesus is God. And it reveals the glory of the cross. Not only that, but the transfiguration also challenges us to hear the voice of God. The transfiguration challenges us to hear the voice of God. Let's read Mark chapter 9 from verse 4 to verse 7. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So to make this encounter more fascinating... For the disciples, Elijah and Moses appears on the mountaintop and have a discussion with Jesus. He's unsure of what they spoke about, but in Luke's account, he refers to them talking about Jesus' death or exodus from this earth. The disciples were shell-shocked. 
and left speechless except for Peter. So Peter blurts out and he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he just didn't know what to say because they were greatly afraid. Ben Wetherington, uh, we were studying his, uh, his, we did a study on Matthew a couple of weeks ago in one of our theology groups, and he makes this very interesting comment about this um, shrine concept. He says, Peter thought like ancient Hebrews that there should be some shrine or commemoration of the spot where the holy ones appeared like at Bethel. It must be remembered that ancient people thought that high places on mountains were where you encountered divine beings and where they built their shrines and sanctuaries. It was very interesting that just after COVID, and they, not after COVID, but after the lockdown had been opened up, and they said people could go walking and hiking again, the amount of people that went up Table Mountain increased dramatically, where people went to go look for Jesus and Moses and Elijah, like, God, what's happening now? But let's get back to the scripture over here. We are not different to Peter. We love the great religious experiences and wish it could linger forever. We don't want that feeling of being on a spiritual high to leave us, isn't it? Like Peter, we need to value the presence of God and the mountaintop experiences, the supernatural encounters with God, the encounters where Jesus reveals himself to us through his word and through his spirit. But we need to make the time to get away and be led by Jesus to a quiet place, whatever mountain top that may be, and learn to listen to him. So for a moment, I would like to consider this mountaintop experience and the significance of where and how God spoke to Moses and Elijah and how this connects to the disciples in the transfiguration. So firstly, Moses. Moses was the great leader that God used to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. A polytheistic kingdom that physically and spiritually enslaved the people. Moses is also known as the great lawgiver, the Ten Commandments, and everything stipulated in the Torah. This was based on the treaty or covenant that God made with the entire nation Israel. This treaty indicated that God would lavish his attention on them, but he alone was to be worshipped as opposed to the various other gods they were enslaved to in Egypt. He would bless them, give them a land of their own, and the Israelites would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In Exodus chapter 24, from verse 12 to 17, it describes Moses' mountaintop experience. Moses went up Mount Sinai, the glory of God rested on the mountain, and a cloud covered it. 
Moses went into the cloud and it is here that God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. Moses had his mountaintop experience. In fact, he had quite a few. He heard the voice of God speak to him. But then he had to come down the mountain and teach the people how to relate to God and to one another based on the covenant God made with them. A new kingdom would be established and the nation Israel would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Their purpose would be to lead other nations to the true God ultimately so that they could be delivered from spiritual slavery as well. And then Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, from verse 11 to 18, it describes Elijah's mountaintop experience. Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament times. It is noted that no other prophet had arisen since Moses like Elijah. He spoke fearlessly on behalf of God. After God used Elijah to defeat and slay the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, threatened Elijah's life. Elijah ran. He went into a state of depression and he found himself on Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. It is here that God reveals himself to Elijah. I want to read verse 11 and 12 to you. It says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great wind, great and strong wind, tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It is on this mountain that God revealed himself to Elijah, to Elijah and spoke to him. Although each of the things mentioned in verse 11 and 12 could signal God's presence, but Elijah learned that God is not just the God of the spectacular. At times the work of God is experienced as a still, small voice. God speaks to Elijah, revealing himself and giving him clear instruction that he needed to go down the mountain and into the valley of Damascus and complete the task God had given him. He was to anoint new kings to, in order to establish a new kingdom that was different to the broken and corrupt kingdom under Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah had his mountaintop experience. He heard the voice of God speak to him and encourage him, but he needed to come down and into the valley and heed the voice of God. Looked at Moses, we looked at Elijah. What about the disciples? In the transfiguration of Jesus, the disciples are also on a mountaintop. 
It is here that the glory cloud once again descends and the voice of God speaks directly to the disciples, stating, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. This is an affirmation of who God is. Just as he revealed himself to Moses and Elijah. Secondly, there is a clear instruction for the disciples to listen to Jesus. God's instruction was a direct reference to the encounter Moses had on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. As well as Elijah's encounter on Mount Horeb, where God spoke to him in the still, small voice. And then God told him to go down the mountain and into the valley to complete his mission. Peter, James, and John needed to pause, be still, and listen to the voice of God. The disciples too were having their mountaintop experience. They heard the voice of God speak to them and challenge them. But then they needed to come down the mountain and heed God's God's instruction in working with God to establish His kingdom. The point is, the mountaintop experience was great. But they needed to come down and get back into the trenches of life. Like Moses and Elijah, a new kingdom was being ushered in. And the disciples were to teach the nations what this meant and the significance of the cross. The cross of Christ in bringing the hope and healing to all. God's saving reign, His kingdom was breaking in and the disciples had to proclaim this. When God speaks in the cloud and says, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. It is in reference to Jesus' passion and death. The disciples had to fully grasp that God was establishing His kingdom here on earth. But this required that God had to suffer many things, be rejected and to die a shameful death on the cross of Calvary in order to bring hope and healing to this broken world. At the same time, Jesus' challenge to his disciples also indicated that they needed to deny their selfish desires of wanting to restore the kingdom to Israel, to take up their cross on a daily basis and deal with the evils in society and follow him by being on mission with God in establishing his kingdom here on earth. This is what the voice was saying in the cloud when he said, listen to him. Listen to him. So what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me as an individual? There's tremendous value in spending time with God and having the mountaintop experiences. Learning to hear God's voice is a process and I therefore need to make the time to abide in Christ. Be strengthened in His Spirit. Be given new vision for life and ministry. And then be recommissioned to serve God in the trenches of life. 
The danger we face is that we only want to see Jesus in the dramatic, in the power, majesty, and glory of that mountaintop experience. But I need to move with Jesus beyond that and serve Him in the valley. The transfiguration of Jesus teaches me to recognize who Jesus is as God, to listen to Him as a true disciple and obey His word. If you are pursuing the claims of Christ, well, today is the day that you can accept His invitation. Recognize that He is God. Recognize that He died for you on the cross and rose to give you life and receive His love and forgiveness by trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. And for us as disciples, it will be to learn to deny myself, which means I need to repent of my selfish desires and the pursuit of personal happiness, to move beyond the idea that God must only show up in my life and fix my problems. To daily take up my cross, living the abandoned life, realizing that with a cross comes shame and rejection, and thus aligning myself with the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, and to follow Him, to be on mission with God, for me to be His hands and His feet. And serve those around me to love the unloved, to proclaim the hope and salvation found in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us as a Christian community, as common ground church? It's taking the time to listen to what God is saying to us, to hear Him. God has strategically placed us here in the city of Cape Town. And as a church, we need to hear God speak to us so that we will follow His vision and plan for us. To be exposed to the atrocities that are out there when we walk out this door or out your house. To get involved in filling the city by spreading the message, life, and fame of Jesus Christ. God has called us to be on mission with Him. What needs are being revealed to us as we walk out of church, having had our mountaintop experience today? The truth is, transfiguration challenges us to hear the voice of God. So as we land, I would like you to close your eyes. And I just want us to pause and to meditate for a moment, to reflect on what God is saying to us this morning. So breathe slowly and recenter your scattered senses upon the presence of God. I want you to picture Jesus leading you up the mountain.
It is here on this mountain top that He reminds you of who He is. He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is Mighty God. He is Friend. He is Father. He calls you by your name. And invites you to join Him on His mission. He challenges you to give up your small ambitions and live the abandoned life. To live the crucified life. He recognizes your fear and anxiety and He reminds you of His presence. Jesus commissions you as His disciple to be His hands, His feet, His mouthpiece as He builds His church, as He establishes His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He then leads you down the mountain, back into society, where the Spirit of God empowers you to live the transfigured life, the changed life. So this morning, we surrender to you. All that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to be, Lord, we give to you. We surrender. We worship you for who you are. As the great I am. Will you recommission us today? Give us new vision for what you call us to and lead us down the mountain back into the trenches of life to be on mission with you, O oh God. We surrender to you. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us this morning and we're just going to worship God. We're, gonna, we're just going to surrender ourselves as we sing this song. And if there's anyone over here who is struggling in any way, there's an opportunity for while we sing for you to come forward. We are here and we are here to pray with you. Maybe you are struggling with issues at home, issues at work, or you, are, you can't find work, or you are battling with an illness, or you are in pain, you've got a fractured or broken relationship, whatever it may be. God is speaking to your heart this morning and He's saying, here's an opportunity. We will pray with you. So let us worship together. Let us sing and we are here to pray with you. Let's worship.